Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Joel Claremont. Joel, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to have you here. Um, so this, the premise of this interview sort of kicked off in the Ditcherville Slack where mm -hmm. you had you had mentioned that uh, you listened to a Business of Authority episode where we talked about over-delivering and you were like, oof, yes. flashbacks <laughs> to my agency days. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about that and and then your subsequent you sort of transition from agency to solo and then a subsequent transition from hourly to value. So this should be a jam-packed episode. <laughs> yep. But first, could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do now? Yeah, these days um, I, I primarily focus on Laravel development and helping specifically helping teams that are building Laravel SaaS based products to kind of level up their their product and their their team. And so that that covers a lot of different things, but that's that's my current focus. Great. All right, cool. Okay, so let's just jump right in with the agency to solo and the mm -hmm. over delivering piece. That's probably <laughs> okay. a good place to start. Yeah, so I, I, I recall some comment on the show that because the title, I think, had the word over delivering in it. And I'll be honest, like before listening to that, I kind of considered over delivering to be a positive, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like we do, we do even more than you ask us for. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was listening to the episode and how you were framing it, I realized like in, in the context you were describing, it actually isn't necessarily a good thing. It can be a negative thing. And it, it made me reflect back when, when I had an agency, I had two partners and we would do, I would say, a lot of smaller projects, whereas now I'm kind of focused on fewer big projects. Um, and I just like, like it resonated, this idea of over-delivering would, would come up in client meetings where they would ask for something where we even knew this really is not useful. It's probably detrimental to the project, but you want it and you're paying us hourly. So I guess we'll do it. Right. You know, we, we'd push back even once or twice. And at a certain point, just be like, okay, we're going to do it. And and I, the friction I felt at that just all surfaced again, you know, because that this is going back now, you know, over 10 years when it was in that model. Mm -hmm. um, so it just really resonated. I'm like, oh, it's so much better now. Um, <laughs> looking looking back on those days and, and not having to deal with that anymore. Totally. And it was such a big thing that you named your solo consultancy to remind yourself. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. So, and um, just to, to be clear, I, I love my partners. In fact, uh, just kind of a, a side story. My, the first partner, we both, the way we met, we both were bidding on the same job hmm. and his focus was more in like what he termed a brochure website, you know, like, you know, your simple five page site. And I was more focused on like database driven sites and the, the client came back and said, you know what, I actually need both. Could you guys work together? And we we really hit it off. And so, you know, it, I mean, I, I worked with him for over 10 years. It was a wonderful relationship. But at, at a certain point, um, I just felt this conflict. And, um, you know, like I'll, I'll give you an example. So we would be in a, a client meeting and they'd mentioned they, they were there to talk about, you know, his five page website that he always liked to build for people. You know, mm -hmm. he, he'd rather do two to three projects a week. I'd rather do two to three projects a year. And so there, <laughs> there's a little bit of mismatch there. Um, but they, they just offhand mentioned some sort of like internal business process. And like, I'd want to dig into that. And I, I would, you know, light bulbs would go off like, hey, we, we could actually help you with that. And I'd always get shut down. Um, mm -hmm. Well, that's not what they want, or you don't have the budget for that, or let's just do this first and we'll come back to that, which we never did. Yeah. <laughs> so um, those were sorts of the things where I, I reached a certain point 
where um, I just, you know, I wasn't happy. Uh, it wasn't horrible. I could have done it until I retired, but I just, you know, I wanted to go back on my own and, and uh, kind of do things my way. <laughs> That's where the tongue in cheek name, uh, no compromises came from mm. because it was, you know, compromises in terms of just how to run a business, but also within a project, you know, uh, probably my first hint at why I didn't like hourly billing is I'd get pushback within the team. Uh, we can't do that. That'll take too long. Or uh, it's like, no, you know, the client won't want to pay for that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't matter <laughs> because we need to do this. This is important to the success of the project. But um, so anyways, like all of that was kind of encapsulated uh, in the name, no compromises, not that I'm stubborn and difficult to work with, but there were certain things like I just felt there was an ethical stance. Like I, I have to do it this way to be proud of my work. All right. First, do no harm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So, so what was, I don't know if it, it's relevant, but the process of going solo, was that pretty much just, uh, you know, a, a tough conversation and then you, um, just started or was that, how did you yeah. start? Well, so th there were two difficult conversations to be had. One was with my, my partners. Uh, the other was with my wife, <laughs> uh, you know, because it, it was it was a successful business. You know, we, we had uh, a crew of people working there, designers and uh, developers, a steady stream of leads, you know, more work than we could handle. And so it was a good thing. But um, I had also kind of built up a cushion and <laughs> I didn't I didn't need to be working. I was feeling maybe a little bit of burnout, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So the the conversation internally, I didn't just like up and quit one day. It was, you know, about a year long transition period. Mm -hmm. And even beyond that, they would reach out to me, you know, clients and projects. I had a, a, a the lead on before, I, you know, I would still work with them. So I didn't leave them high and dry Right on the family side. Um, there was a little uncertainty. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, the way we had things structured for like, you know, health insurance and all that wasn't dependent on the, the agency. I was actually still paying for that myself. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, yeah, that there was a little bit of risk involved. Uh, in fact, I took probably a solid six months off completely just to kind of like recharge. I went to a bunch of conferences. I even explored different technologies. And I just, you know, I kind of wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a leap of faith and thankfully it, it turned out. Okay. Cool. I'm glad I asked. That's uh, very interesting. Um, okay. And then just out of curiosity, were you doing Laravel at the agency or was that something mm -hmm. that you had been playing with and went to a conference and you loved the community or what was going on there? How'd you pick Laravel? Yeah. Just, just to put this in context, that first project I did with my partner where, um, the client made us work together was 1997, right? So this is going back uh, quite a ways. Yeah, it, it wasn't even PHP. I was I was doing uh, what we call <laughs> yeah, Perl and uh, Microsoft's ASP, which is now oh, called yeah. Classic ASP. Um, but yeah, Laravel came later. Um, in fact, I think I, I didn't start doing Laravel myself until maybe 2014. Um, so that's only been about eight years. Well, Laravel itself was only 10 years old. Right? Right, so, so, but yeah, when I, when I went out, when I formed no compromises, I was doing PHP, uh, at the time, my framework of choice was called Zend framework. Oh, yeah. Um, there were others that I used, um, but, but yeah, Laravel came later and, um, but I, like I went to a Ruby conference and I even dabbled in rails for a couple of years. I did some projects. I went to some mobile development conferences and, um, you know, I had some fun doing that ultimately abandoned it, but, but yeah, it was, it was a period of, of exploration kind of figuring out the intersection of like what I'm good at, 
what uh, things are in demand and um, where I can find customers that are willing to hire me. Right, right. Okay, perfect. Yeah, a lot of people struggle with that. It's like, I can do lots of things. I, sure. You know, I, what do you, so there's a, it feels like there's a, it's worth asking. It, you seem like the, the technologies themselves are pretty fungible. You're like, I, I could probably code with, mm-hmm. you know, iOS, you know, like whatever, Objective-C or Swift or, yeah. or, or any variety of web scripting, you know, whatever, Cake, PHP, or mm-hmm. Igniter, yeah. Zen. <laughs> sure. like, ah, I could do any of these. Like, yeah. um, and but what would you say your core skill is, though? Is it mm. you just feel like, because it's not Laravel, obviously, if you're just like, well, it's just the one I picked because it was in demand or whatever. Yeah. Um, what would you say your core skill is? You know, if you had asked me that in 2012, when I, when I went out on my own again, I probably would have said PHP. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, and, and I've heard this from people I've worked with. I think the skill that I have is having having technical chops, but also being able to speak to the business mm-hmm. um, and being able to to not jump right to oh here's what we need to build, but to but to take a step back and and kind of figure out um, you know why are we doing this and what needs to be solved. And so like even back when I was doing hourly billing wasn't even really thinking in terms of business value as like a way of pricing a project. I did have like a mindset of like, well, I want this to be useful. And I know if I build something that works, but nobody uses it, I won't get repeat business from them. But if I build something that works and like helps them, they're going to come back. And I, I just saw that time and time again. So I think I'd, I'd really focus on that. It's like the key skill to my success is, is sort of the insights into the business and a willingness to dig into that and not just kind of stay at the tech layer. Yeah, I cannot overemphasize how important that is. I used to say the exact same thing. Like, like there are way better developers than me. Like, there was no point in my career when I was like the best developer <laughs> at anything. But I was pretty good mm-hmm. at not jumping to conclusions and and really trying to understand why the client was making the request they were instead of just them saying, "Oh, we need a Facebook clone." Okay, <laughs> sure, right, right, and yeah. And that that's uh, that is critical. Anybody listening to this that that doesn't think that's a big deal, like really ma- marinate on that one because it's super important. And um, we're, we're not there yet, but it's the key to value pricing because mm-hmm. you because you need to think about the business benefits. You need to think more like a business owner than as a pair of hands that are you know taking orders. But anyway, yeah. not, not to yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not to, not to cut too far ahead, but for folks who do already think like in this more diagnostic, consultative, upfront way before jumping into the code editor, it, that's like the perfect precondition to start thinking about value pricing yeah. if, if that's on your radar. Anyway, okay. Mm-hmm. So so it's period of exploration and mm-hmm. then what then what happened? Yeah. So then I guess the way I describe it is I sort of got sucked back into consulting, like, you know, cause I I even thought about, well, maybe, maybe I should build a product. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should just like go work for some big tech company and and level up my skills. And, and, and so all of these things were in the mix, but I really did enjoy working one-on-one with clients. I found I enjoyed it way more as a solo, um, practitioner than like a guy running a team of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, running an agency and doing HR stuff and all the things that I, I really never enjoyed doing or set out to do. Um, so I slowly started ramping back up 
the projects I was working on, the clients. And, and like the reason I describe it as kind of being sucked back into it, it I wasn't actively seeking clients, mm. but you know, you build up this network of people and they hear you're available. And so I'd get referrals and, and Hey, can you just help us with this? Or, you know, I, I'd been working with different clients for 10 plus years at that point. Um, and so that, that kind of deep network just, <laughs> just pulled me back in. Mm. Um, now at the time, I was still doing hourly billing because even though I saw there was some conflict, like I, like I knew hourly billing wasn't great because you know you'd have these mismatches of expectation of total cost, or things would take longer, or you know there's nitpicking over like, well, why did you do that? Um, like like I knew it wasn't great, but I had we had tried fixed bid pricing, and that in our opinion at the time. That was even worse, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't not being focused on an outcome. We still sort of operated in that do what you're told mindset, but now we had a, a cap as to what we were yeah. getting paid. And so I like, oh, I don't want to do that either. Um, so that's a I, great I, point. Yeah. 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 If you like, like not having the why conversation gives you no way to control scope creep. So like, yeah, right. you can't identify when there's a, a distraction, like a, one of these torpedo mm -hmm. requests. Yep. One of these requests that's just weird and it's going to torpedo the project or jeopardize the likelihood of reaching the stated goal because you don't have the stated goal. So, right. so right. yeah, so that's, a, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, something I should probably talk about more. But yeah, the, the, the beauty of having a sort of outcome-based price is that you had to find the outcome in the first place mm -hmm. and you can detect when a request is going to diverge from the path. So then you have a, a basis to say, no, it's not because, oh, you only paid us X and we're not going to do this because it wasn't part of the scope that we laid out at the beginning. It's this real like, <laughs> you know, combative kind of relationship. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's so adversarial. Whereas the the other way of framing it is like, hey, we, we both want the same thing. Um, let's do that thing that we agreed on is is the the outcome we want. So and, yeah, and good clients are like, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right, you We always mm -hmm, do this. Mm -hmm. We have, we got shiny object syndrome. <laughs> Thank you for keeping us right. on track because this is much yeah. more important. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So um, so what what like, you got sucked back like into what kind mm -hmm. of a thing was it? Just sort of like maintenance stuff, or was it we needed um, a feature, or yeah, it was a mix. It was projects I had worked on before that needed a new feature or needed some some maintenance. It was you know, clients I'd worked with before that had some new initiative, you know, so it was more of a greenfield project, but they, they liked working with me before. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it, it, the, the, the split of the agency when I, when I left, it was amicable. And, um, it, the nice thing was there was a, a clear subset of clients that were more my target client that had the complex, you know, data-driven web app instead of the brochure website. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was really kind of easy like they they would get the call uh just send this to joel you know he, he he'll do this we don't want to do it and so right um that that is how a lot of the business kind of followed me even when i when i left on my own mm. yeah something similar with me when I, I left the firm i was at there were a couple of clients that that literally no one else was was ever working with it was just me and yep. i was mostly managing people but i had two or three clients where i was like the lead and only developer and we just, I just worked at it, you know, same thing, amicable, mm -hmm. amicable split. We just worked at a, a profit sharing thing and uh, off to the races. So it was a great yeah. transition. Cool. That's, I mean, that's a, a great position to be in. They were getting enough leads. They weren't desperate for the work. Mm -mm, so no. they, they probably didn't, it was outside of their skill set. So they're like, I'll oh, just give it to Joel. So everybody's happy. <laughs> All right. So how long did, like, what was the, and then did that get a little bit, at some point, did that get a little bit less reactive 
meaning you um, know like stuff just coming in you're doing it or did you get more specific like get more picky about who you did work with or was like ah everything's fine i'm charging x per hour um i like these people i've worked with them before yeah. no there there was probably several years of that where i r- literally did no marketing um i didn't even have in my mind like who is the person who is the the ideal person for me to work with it really was just, you know, jobs would land in my inbox and be like, hey, that sounds like fun. I'll yeah. do that. Um, and so uh, I actually went back through my email because I'm like, when is the first email I got from you? <laughs> because that that, that kind of was the turning point to, to like rethink the idea of hourly billing. And then then even thinking more about like, who is my ideal person I want to work with and, and how to seek them out. So it was August 1st, 2016. And wow. I think... I think it was the five page proposal template I downloaded from your website. Um, And then, then I think the daily email I signed up for in September. So maybe like a month later, I, I got on that, but yeah, that was that for me, that was a turning point because it just, it raised all sorts of questions that I wasn't like actively thinking about, but they, they connected with concerns I had had on previous projects, like where I knew something wasn't quite right, but I didn't know what the alternative was because the only alternative I knew you know, fixed bid pricing mm-hmm. that didn't work either. In fact, I thought it was worse. So <laughs> it was kind of nice to sort of, as you spoon fed these ideas, <laughs> I would try them out. Um, and, and it slowly clicked and, you know, I'm still, it's still a process, right? I'm still figuring things out, but I think it was by, I would say by about a year later, you know, sometime in 2017, like a third of the projects I re- was doing were, were fixed bid, you know, they were mm-hmm. not hourly. And then I, I pulled up my fresh books just to kind of have a bad memory on dates. So I'm like, what, when, when did this happen? Um, it was a year after that, like early 2018, it was up to about three quarters of all the, all the invoices I was sending were fixed bid, you know, 25% down payment, this, that, not 8.5 hours of work this week. Right. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see that shift over time. And my very last client I was billing hourly I finally said goodbye to them this year. <laughs> it was wow. February um, for a variety of reasons. But um, so, yeah, that the transition is fully complete now. So that took four years to, in total, but it was, you know, yeah. steady progress. And yeah, I'd say you- it, it, it happened really quickly, like the first year, year and a half. But then <laughs> there were some clients that were just like, they're such good clients. It was hard to let them go. Um, and they just resisted the, the, the any transition away from what they were used to. Yeah. So I, it's, it's hard. I was mm-hmm. call it trying to get out of the friend zone. It's really hard. Yeah. So, well, you're a perfect person to ask this question. Did you ever, when you sat down to work on a project for client A mm-hmm. and it was fixed bid, value-based fixed bid, and then you'd sit down to work for client B at, you know, X dollars per hour. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you notice a difference in your attitude or the way it felt? Um. You know, I, th- I think so. I'm, I'm trying to put myself back in a mindset from a few years ago. Mm. But I, the, the first thing that jumped to my mind when you asked that question is I felt more relaxed and less hurried when I was working on the fixed bid price because, you know, I, I respect the client's budget. And so I always felt an awareness of, um, well, I, I don't want to take more time on this than this is necessary because it's going to cost them this money. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, just, just, uh, I, I would look forward to kind of taking my time and enjoying the project on a fixed bed. Whereas the hourly is like, get in and out as quick as you can. 
That is funny because the the I have other people who have the exact same experience, but for the same reason. Uh, sorry, the exact opposite experience, but for the same reason. Hmm. Where where the first time they do, and maybe this happened back in the agency days, or maybe it didn't happen. Maybe I'm just putting words in your mouth. But but the, a lot of times the the when people are billing by the hour, if they're not as empathetic to the client situation, they work for an hour and they think, oh, I I just made through two hundred dollars. <laughs> Right. Or whatever their rate is. And as soon as they do their first fixed bid, however it's priced, they work an hour and they think, oh, I just lost $200. Mm. But you you flip it because you're more worried mm-hmm. about the client and you don't want to, you don't want to, the client to, to, you don't want that thing that you know will happen down the road when it goes over budget where everybody starts to get a little finicky and picky and concerned and it can get heated in you know in bad situations and so yeah. you have this but you're because your your focus was more on the client you're like oh i want to rush through this because they're losing two hundred dollars <laughs> yeah at an hourly so you don't feel the you don't you know like that that fun thing where you go back and you refactor a chunk of code like a couple sure, times yeah. and you're just like oh yeah that's sweet it's like is it fair to charge the client for that like that that like hour when you're in the zone mm-hmm. kind of like you know blow drying your hair essentially you know it's like <laughs> so technically get yeah. blah 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 but yeah okay that's interesting i the the i think the most important piece is that it feels different emotionally one way or the mm-hmm. other when they're not you're not on the clock they're, you're not the meter is not running yeah it's a totally different feeling and I mean, one other thing that I'll say, and maybe maybe this is bad business advice, but I made the conscious decision on the fixed bid projects to not track my time. The way I looked at it is I have a roof over my head. I'm paying my bills. Like even if technically I'm losing money versus my hourly rate, like I, I don't really care, right? So I, I was I was trying to force a, a shift in my mindset. And so I knew if I tracked time, the, the one potential benefit is I could realize, oh, I really underbid this, or I could feel really good about myself. Like, whoa, I, you know, I, I actually came out ahead on this, but I just decided I didn't want to do that. Number one, I hated tracking time. So <laughs> getting rid of that was good, but I just made a conscious decision. Like it didn't matter. I, I was going to be okay. I'd have a sense at the end of the project, whether it took longer or, or less time than I expected. And I, I could use that just like gut feel to adjust things, but I didn't measure the time so that maybe that's part of why i wasn't thinking oh i'm losing you know at, at my when i exited hourly my highest rate was 125 but you know that, that same that same feeling i didn't i didn't look at it that way because i was purposely not thinking about it in terms of hours at that point mm. I, I do i think that's good advice uh it's debated I, I i i actually had a really fun cool fast system for tracking my time when i left the uh left the the firm and I continued to do it out of habit, and then very quickly it became comical. I was like, "Why am I doing that? This is like <laughs> right. this, this is nothing." Yeah. So you know, some people, some value prices are hard line. If you are keeping a timesheet, you don't get it yet. Like you still mm. are thinking wrong. And I don't think it's that black and white um, because you have like employee things. There's a whole bunch of things where I don't think it's that black and white. There's yeah. there's a question of like. I don't think it's important for the reasons that a lot of people want to keep doing it, but I do think there are benefits for some people who are maybe looking, using it as a compass 
to find out where they need to maybe improve their skills or are like, wow, I really spun my wheels on this. It's kind of like looking back over your expenses for the month and mm-hmm. being like, holy mackerel, I spent $1,000 <laughs> at Starbucks. I didn't even realize, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think there's potentially some value there. The problem is, like you said, if it's if it's bogging you down in this mindset of hourly cost, if it's, if it's keeping you anchored in the cost-based pricing instead of value-based pricing, that's problematic. So mm-hmm. anyway, so I, I, don't, I, I think that's good advice, but I'm also not going to argue with people who do want to keep tracking their time for productivity reasons, not for yeah. pricing reasons. Yeah, I can see both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, where are we in the journey here? We've, well, yeah. there's kind of a key part that I, I should also mention. Um, in so, so I was making the transition away from hourly kind of 2017, 2018, late 2018, I think it was October, I started working, you know, calling my partner, even though on legally on paper, we're not partners. Um, but Aaron, you know, you know, we do the podcast together. We ran the PHP meetup group in Milwaukee for 10 plus years together. And he was going out in his own. And so we started working on projects together. And I, I think that was probably another turning point for me because he and I have very different um, personalities. You know, I'm more of a people pleaser and he likes to style himself as kind of like the grumpy person who says no. Um, (laughs) Exactly. And so just having another person to talk things over, like, like when, when a lead came across, um, you know, my email, or I saw something on Twitter, we'd be like, Hey, is this worth pursuing? And then once we got into the nitty gritty of writing a proposal after having a, a client meeting or two, it just was a nice um, way of like a check and balance because my default position for so many years as a solo person was to say yes, because like, well, yeah, like I don't know when the next thing might come across my desk. So yeah, let's do this one. And um, now it's almost, I don't want to say the default is no, but the default is I'm not sure. Um, And and Aaron was, was a huge help and continues to be in kind of helping me to not just jump at things and to really reflect and does this align with what we want to do like even things like do we really have time to do this you know because that's another developer trait i see is over um over uh estimation of what you can get done in a week and how many different things you can juggle so yeah that that really also helped with this transition away from hourly and then on to the really thinking about in terms of value versus just you know price Mm mm-hmm Okay. And for most people, the, the, the why conversation, being able to uncover some kind of value to the client in that sort of diagnostic meeting um, is a, uh, it's a bit of a performance art. It's maybe, mm-hmm. maybe more art than science, definitely more art than science. Maybe there's no science at all. Um, how has your experience been with that? Like, do these just like, do these calls take forever? Do you need to do like mm-hmm. multiple calls or do you kind of yeah. find yourself getting better at it? And you can sort of, you got to know, start to get a nose for like, oh, that smells like value, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, one thing, this isn't maybe a direct answer, but um, one thing I've observed and that, that I've learned through trying to do the why conversation is it is almost a litmus test for whether this client is going to be a good fit. Totally. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I saw it most starkly with like my existing clients, you know, when they'd come back and now we're going to do like our sixth project together. And I would start to prod at those questions. You know, I'm, I'm trying to practice this with, with existing clients. The ones that resisted that ended up being the ones I was the happiest to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And the ones that really leaned into it were, were the greatest projects to work on. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the greatest clients to work with. Yep. About a year or two ago, I started, I, I modified my, my language around the why conversation to say, like when you do that pivot away from the, they're done with their brain dump and then you pivot mm -hmm. into the why conversation. Um, I, I now say good clients will love this. <laughs> <laughs> Bad clients yeah. might not. Bad clients will get defensive. Why do you need to know that? They feel like you're asking, you know, you know, just fix my toilet. You don't need to know why I need my toilet fixed. You know, <laughs> right. they just they're the, they just want to tell you what to do, and they feel like you're either wasting their time or trying to pick their pocket. Or, but really, yeah. you know, if if you look a a a bad doctor would go, oh, triple bypass, sure, hang on, let me get my knife. Um, <laughs> A good doctor would say, "Well, hold hold your horses. You know, maybe you just need an antacid. Uh, maybe you don't need a triple bypass. So, let me, you know, where does it hurt? How long has it been like this? What would it be like to get back to normal? You know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so it's really, it really, and I, I think it's important when you're when someone is trying to start having the why conversation to realize that is not some trick that you're trying to do to get more money out of the client. Sometimes you find there's very little value there and sure. prices need to be low. So yeah. it's, has, it's not a Jedi mind trick to try and get giant project fees. It's, it's to make sure that you deliver 100% customer satisfaction by reaching their goal at a budget that is worth it to them. Mm -hmm. So, right. So you first, you need to find out what the fundamental underlying goal is, what get, take a ballpark of what that might be worth to a client like this in the situation that they're in and why they would hire someone expensive like you to, to help them with such a transformation. Yeah. And once you have that, then you can say, all right, so I can come up with three prices that are a fraction of what this is probably worth. So what could I do for those three prices? And you do the scope last, which is a complete mind flip from, <laughs> from like, oh, how many screens? Okay, 10 screens. All right. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, many, how many fields on each screen? Okay. Ooh, 45 fields. Oh, that's going to cost you. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, any business logic? Oh, field validation? Oh, let me write that down. That's going to be like 45 minutes for each field val. So <laughs> I still find myself slipping back into that mindset. It's hard, I think it's that's hard the hardest to. thing to shake. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 But the, um, you know, in terms of the why conversation, the the two questions um, that I found the most interesting, like the the question why do this right now, um, that would really because sometimes they would have no answer, right? Like, well, I don't know, <laughs> and so it, like that gives me a really quick read on the importance of the project. Yeah, because sometimes it's a vanity thing, like, well, you know, competitor has this thing and we want to have it too. And other times it's, well, we need this for a product launch at this trade show that we're going to in November. And like to me, knowing those two things really helps me figure out, um, like, what what is it that we can even do to reach this goal? So that like that was a great question. Um, the one that was a little scary for me is why me, yeah. because. I, you know, I even asked, oh, why, why are you calling me? I, you know, especially when it's somebody I've never worked with before. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was interesting to find out why, uh, because sometimes it would be like, well, you know, so-and-so said you were great to work with. And so we we figured it was worth a shot. That's that's OK. Right. But other mm -hmm. times it, I, I learned like, oh, we've listened to the last 30 episodes of your podcast and we realized, hey, why don't we just hire these guys? And uh, that, that just puts the whole conversation on a different footing. You know, it, it, you feel less of a need to prove yourself um, because they've kind of already decided they like you, <laughs> like the right. way you work and talk about things. So that that was really eye opening for me kind of through that process. Right. Yeah, it's an important one. And it is the one that I most often hear people skip. Like, well, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll say, you know, they're 
they're tr- I'm trying to help them with a proposal and the situation appraisal is missing that info. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, well, what did they say when you ask them why hire someone expensive like you? And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't, didn't ask that. I'm like, well, then, you know, we, we have nothing we can put in the proposal to say, to remind them why they can't shop this around. So, yeah. you know what I mean? It's important because they're, if you can't find an answer to that question, I almost wouldn't do a proposal. If mm-hmm. they're, you know, if, if they were like, well, you know, we're talking to like six different people. So, you know, yeah. we, we just need to get prices from people and then we'll decide who we want to go with. And, you know, you are one of the names that is in the hat. I'd be like, yeah, thanks anyway. Or I'd say, or sometimes I'll be like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll want to do the proposal for some other reason. Like it's a, it would be a, like a marquee logo to have my website or something or whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might say, well, I can tell you right now, I'm going to be double the price of anybody else. And I just start to set the anchor really high. Um, you know, and I'll say, but, but probably no one else who gives you a proposal will stand by their price. I'll be the only one <laughs> right. that will stand by the price, but it's going to be higher because I'm the one that's actually being realistic and everybody else is going to lowball you to get the job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So if, if for some reason I wanted to go there in a meeting, I would do it like that. But usually if I know that they're just shopping around, I wouldn't even bother. Yeah. Well, yeah. The boss says I have to get three proposals. So you're just number three. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. <laughs> it's not real exciting. Yeah. Yep. Oh, cool. Okay. So where do we go from there? We're sort of hopping yeah. around. So the, I guess kind of the next mindset shift I had, um, and, and one I'm, I'm still <laughs> transitioning through it is the, you know, kind of switching from a tech focused mindset, you know, like I'm looking for people that want Laravel to right. a, a value focused mindset of like, I, I want to find people that have a pain point that I can solve. Uh, it, this this just came up again yesterday on Twitter. A friend of mine was sort of complaining, very skilled guy, you know, tons of experience. And he's like, well, no one wants to pay me for what I want to do. <laughs> and I'm, I just said, well, you got to, maybe they do and they just don't know that you have to frame it differently. Like, you know, instead of talking about, um, you know, your specific tech skill X, like talk about a problem you can solve with that, that somebody might have. And it, He's, and then he replied, and he was kind of joking. Well, that's too hard. But <laughs> that 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 it just you know I see that over and over, um, and I even find myself falling into that trap. But um, that's 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 the thing I'm still going through now. And part of that even has to do with like what kind of person can I help? And I I, I you know I mentioned Laravel SaaS teams um, that is a focus, and we're we're getting some nice projects in that space. But honestly, still I would say most of the revenue is not in that that audience. It's it's really more the non-technical business owner that has a successful product that's very tech-centric, but they don't have the skills. And they've they've bounced between agencies and solo developers and they kind of have a mess. And like, we're really good at cutting through that, fixing it and kind of getting them back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I don't know what that uh, demographic is, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard to, uh, to, to frame that, but I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it, but that, that focus is refreshing, I think for the right client um, to come in and ask more about them and not, you know, not get into the tech gobbledygook. <laughs> some of those people right. will say, uh-huh. um, but then again, I, you know, just, just to kind of um, shift here a little bit, like the, the Laravel SaaS team, like they are very tech focused, like, Hey, we have a problem with scaling X, Y, Z, or, you know, with our, our team proficiency at this particular framework package. Um, so it, it is kind of interesting to see both sides of that. 
and I enjoy both of them, but we're still kind of straddling both of those worlds right now. Right. Yeah. It takes a while to get the new positioning down and, and like have the leads shift over or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, you know, the, the, the non-technical founder who's bounced around between, you know, a variety of different vendors, you know, agencies and, you know, Upwork and mm -hmm. th those, that group, they're, they're pretty hard to find because they're, yeah. there's, they don't have that label on their LinkedIn profile. No. <laughs> no. But they are extremely, extremely profitable because you also mentioned they have sort of like a, a successful yeah. business that's tech focused, but they aren't tech focused. So like the non-technical founder of um, some kind of platform, sorry, some kind of business that has, uh, in your case, Laravel uh, is, yeah. And if you've got good mm -hmm. bedside manner and understand business, mm -hmm. then it's like, you're like the, the goose that laid the golden egg for them. Well, you know, it, it's it, like a dream. It, it, the bar is set so low. Um, right. A lot of developers are just so flighty. Like the, the, this this one guy we just started working with maybe a year and a half ago, he loved his developer, but he's like, he only responds to me, you know, like every month or two. And, you know, he'll 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 show up and he'll like have fixed a bunch of stuff. And then he goes off and I don't know where he goes for like a month or two. And like he 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 really liked the guy. He just didn't like how he communicated. Yeah. And then we come along and, you know, we have weekly check ins and, you know, we would always push back and say, no, you can't do that this week. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it's just such a different experience. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I like you mentioned, you don't have to be the best at the technical thing. Just having some basic business and communication skills gets you a long way yeah. uh, in this business. Yeah, right. It's almost like, yeah, I, that story that you just told turned a light bulb on for me because I've heard that same thing a lot of times. Mm -hmm. it, they don't always like the developer, but the developer is flaky. So you could almost like do a, a like a social media campaign. It's like, hey, is anybody sick of like their flaky Laravel developer? <laughs> And, and they would know, like, they know the yeah. answer to that question. They don't know the answer yeah. to like, d does anybody need their application re-architected or like migrated right. no. to AWS? Like they don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, do you feel like your agency is blowing smoke up your butt, you know, mm -hmm. in, or unresponsive or that they're nickel and diming you? Like those sorts of questions they can answer easily. And your differentiator in that world would be like, hey, we're never going to talk down to you. We always pick up the phone going to be weekly check-ins come hell or high water you know so on and so forth and that's like you know to a non-technical founder who who can't tell um if you're good or not until it's too late right those signals of just being professional are huge like for their for their comfort level yeah one of the things we lead with too um is we we always joke we want to make it easy to fire us because that's another thing is <laughs> developers one almost not even not intentionally but they almost hold a client hostage like they bought the domain or it's in their aws account or mm. nothing is documented so somebody even if they wanted to fire them they have no idea how to bring the next person in because they don't they don't know anything about their project and so mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time uh, up front on even in the proposal you know here's some prerequisites um, on our website we have resources for how to set up all the things we need and you invite us to that. And we also have, here's how to remove us from that. Yeah. And just kind of framing it that way, I think has earned a lot of confidence from people because they felt the pain when developers don't do that. They've, they've yeah. felt trapped and uh, we're, we're making it obvious. Like, no, we're, we're never going to trap you. Um, we want to make it easy to fire you too. I don't say that, but <laughs> it is the, the, the yeah. flip side is it's a lot easier to walk away from a bad client when you can just hand them everything that they already own. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's another, another huge um, 
benefit we try to (laughs) communicate early in the process. That's really good. That's a good one. That happens even with employees where someone just like some lead dev has all of Mm -hmm. the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Um, Cool. Okay. So uh, what, what's next? So you've, you've, you're, you've got plenty of leads, you're Mm -hmm. getting more focused down in your sweet spot. Um, You're still getting a a solid pipeline of leads, sort of the old school type of leads. Um, And, you know, do you feel like, and and you've already mentioned that your quality of life is superior to what it was at the agency. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, you know, it's, 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 that's the main benefit so far, or do you feel like you're actually having better years, like income wise year over year? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the, the pivot on that was probably 2016 actually where I shifted, started shifting away from hourly. Um, in fact, there was one, the first big flat fee project, um, basically would pay my bills for six, seven months. Mm -hmm. And like, that was a huge game changer because it, Number one, it was such a big project that was time sensitive. Um, I was, I had to say no and like turn away some other work. And so like the first thing to go was, you know, I did subcontracting for other agencies, right? They, uh-huh. they would have overflow work and they knew I would get things done. I, I just had to turn all of that off. Um, you know, the people that only call when there's an emergency and, and, and their hair is on fire, you know, I just, I had to, you know, gracefully end the relationship with them, but it kind of gave me the breathing room to, to, to kind of think about the business and not just like the day-to-day practice of, you know, writing code. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was a huge shift and the, the revenue continues to grow, I guess, in terms of like what's next, you know, obviously I want to get better at uh, attracting the right clients. But the other thing too, is I'd, I'd like to, uh, we, we've experimented with some products, uh, you know, wrote a book, um, I'm experimenting with some productized services and, you know, I, I kind of see that as sort of the next evolution to instead of doing, you know, two or three big projects a year, maybe only doing one and then having some revenue from a book or a course or, you know, some uh, low touch services that I offer to people. And so that's that's where my energy is, is kind of focused right now for this this upcoming year. Cool. What, what would you say if you had to guess? the percentage of your week you spend doing client work and the percentage of, you know, doing things like product development or ideation or uh, marketing or podcasting, you know, I guess Mm -hmm. it's marketing, but you know, what, like what, what's just roughly the breakdown. It's probably about one day out of the week. And, and sometimes that day is spread across a few different days, but you know, we, we record the podcast on Mondays um, and uh, Fridays, are like, we kind of call it product day where I'll work on a blog post or right now I'm experimenting with uh, a YouTube channel. And so uh, I'm just kind of t- trying my hand at video editing and, and seeing how I like that. But yeah, I, I would say probably one full day of effort across the week, which I know is not enough. I, I'm trying to increase that. That's better than most people. Um, cool. And so like four days of client work. Mm hmm. Cool. And do you, so with the productized services, probably too soon to say, but do you imagine yeah. at some point that you would farm that work out to contractors or hire sort of junior no. people to execute? So it's still, <laughs> no. yeah, so very yeah. still anti-employee, anti. That was, yeah, that was part of the no compromises. Like <laughs> we will, we will turn, we have turned down projects that are simply too big for two people you know, and mm-hmm. not too big because we couldn't do it, but we couldn't do it within the time frame that it needed. Mm-hmm. I, I just, we'll just turn them down because yeah. I have <laughs> been down that road. I, 
I'm trying to think of how to articulate this without offending people, but I honestly think for the vast majority of clients working with like one or two professional solo practitioners is always better than working with an agency where you're going to have, you know, a different team member in your code base every other week. Like Mm. there's exceptions to that, but I just, I've, I've yet to see an agency really handle that well. And I've inherited a lot of agency built um, apps, but it's just, there's like a different attention to detail and care um, and just cohesion that, that I see having like one or two, and they have to be good people. You can't be the flighty solo dev because right. that's a different risk. But um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of why I just don't want, I don't even think I could build an agency that would do that successfully. I think I, I personally feel it has to be just one or two professionals working on it. Mm. So that reminds me of like three different stories. One is the guy who built the stone wall in front of our house. It was like okay. a 65 year old guy humping these 60 pound rocks around mm. and complaining about his back the whole time. <laughs> and and I was like, I mean, have you thought about getting like a helper? <laughs> mm-hmm. And he goes, ah, I tried that. You know, kids these days, they don't listen. They don't show up. They don't, you know, and, yeah. and, and I was like, yeah, well, they could unload the truck for you, couldn't they? I mean, sure. And he, but he was just like, no way. Like it, it was, it would. I, I almost said by accident, um, compromise the product <laughs> in his mind. You know, so, so I would say that I, I absolutely know that there are plenty of situations where you know I, I worked with one guy who had like two hundred devs under. It. You know, it, mm, it can okay. work for certain kinds of things. A yeah. lot of times, it's real enterprisey because they want right, to work right. that way. They want to feel yeah. like there's a deep bench. It's not really the the buyer's money on the line. It's more like their job or their reputation is on the line, and so they want to have a lot of. They want to have a. Uh, they don't want to have all of their eggs in one basket, sure. like, you know, yeah. with, with just one or two people. Mm-hmm. So I get that. And, and also mm-hmm. there's probably a little bit of selection bias because you'll inherit those kinds of pro- projects <laughs> naturally. True. Yep. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's, the, I think the, the bigger point is that adding headcount of cheap, the cheaper, the better junior developers is the only way to scale an hourly business. Like if the yeah. business model is hourly, the only way to scale it is to add more hands, add more hours to your inventory. And those hours need to be cheaper mm-hmm. than what you want to build them out at. So they're yeah. naturally not going to be as good as you, yeah. or at least they're wildly undervaluing themselves, in which case there's a sort of separate ethical question there, I suppose. Like they're great, but they don't realize that they're, they're worth anything. So mm-hmm. um so to me, like, so I, I meet their selection bias. I meet a lot of people who have a bunch of employees that they don't really want because they're, they don't <laughs> want to be a boss. They don't consider themselves to be a good leader. Uh, they hate one-on-ones. They hate uh, job posts. They hate interviewing people. Like maybe yeah. hate's too strong a word, but they don't, they, it's not what they came to do. They came no. to write code or they came to do mm-hmm. design or they, they, they the fun part. Uh, but they couldn't, but they hit a ceiling income wise around 200, 250 grand, you know, and they're just like, I can't work anymore. I'm working like a dog. My, my lifestyle is expanding faster than my income. And I can't, you know, I'm getting older and there's, I can't work more. I can't yeah. raise my rate. Everybody will leave. So they start hiring people instead because they see it as the only way out. And, yeah. and really it's just, they start running on the hourly hamster wheel or like Rochelle calls it the gilded hamster wheel just running faster <laughs> yep. with more more rats 
So it it also makes it harder to say no to projects because now you have to keep a team of payroll busy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So whereas me, it's like, you know, if I went a whole month without working, whatever, you know, but if I had employees, I couldn't do that. Right. And so that's, that's, I think that's another big part of why I just want, don't want to get back into that trap. Yeah. And even, even with contractors, like I, I would just feel a responsibility if I'm giving this contractor a steady stream of work and just like I turn it off one day, I wouldn't feel great about that. So right. it's just, it's a lot less mental overhead too. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if you were, let's say you had like 10 employees and you were just doing seven figure projects mm-hmm. three times a year. I mean, you're, you're doing like $5 million a year, $10 million a year. Um, and you could afford to have 10 people sitting on the bench for a month while you, you that's terrible for their morale. Like, oh yeah. 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 Even if you could afford to do it and you didn't care about paying, you know, a couple months of payroll with no income generated mm-hmm. from it, they'll get, they'll get <laughs> nervous. They'll be looking for the exits. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I don't care how many meetings you have with, the, you know, all hands meetings saying like, no, don't worry. We're fine. I've got like two years of payroll in the bank. Just sit there. Yeah. You know, no. pl- you guys, everybody play video games. It doesn't It'd be fun work. the first week, but after that, you're right. People would get antsy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is, so you, it's, it makes like exactly like you said, it makes it harder to say no when work comes in. Cause like, well, at least mm-hmm. they'll have something to do, yeah. you know, to pass the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get bored. They start trying to learn new technologies and they're like, want to go work at Google or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I, well, what's next for you guys? I just like more iteration on, on, uh, marketing toward the target market, you know, yeah, our, product our real services. focus. Yeah, our, our real focus right now is um, uh, I'll plug my, our website that we're, we're using is masteringlaravel.io. And um, th- th- it's kind of like where we have our books and where you can sign up for the newsletter and our podcast is there. But um, I'm, I'm working on a, a relaunch of that site that's really kind of focusing on the mission, which is to take a Laravel developer that's competent and make them feel confident, right? Like to go from yeah, I'm good at what I do to feeling like I, I really know what I'm doing. I've mastered this. Like, mm. cause there's, there's a, there's a lot of people, myself included at times where you're like, I, I, I know how to do this, but am, am I any good or, or what am I missing? And so that's, that's kind of what our focus is on education. Um, you know, most of it free, but some, some paid books and courses and um, other offerings that'll show up there in the days ahead. Cool. Yes. I encourage people to go over there. You what mastering Laravel.io? Correct. Yep. This has been great, Joel. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. And I hope I think people are getting a lot out of it. Good. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.